Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Today on the Midday News Wrap, we'll begin with some items from Washington. Months ago, the special counsel Jack Smith asked the Supreme Court to review the immunity case put forth by lawyers for Donald Trump, skipping the process of letting the case go through the lower courts. The Supreme Court refused that request. This week, the high court agreed to review the case, which was decided by an appeals court which found that Mr. Trump or any president is not immune from prosecution. Arguments are scheduled for the week of April 22nd. SCOTUS blog reports in a one-page unsigned order, the justices ordered a federal appeals court to continue to keep a hold on its ruling, rejecting Trump's claims of immunity from prosecution, and they fast-tracked the case for oral arguments in April. So April 22nd, that week, is the Supreme Court's version of fast-tracking. The decision by the court will delay three of the four cases in which Mr. Trump has been indicted, including the Georgia election interference case, the classified documents case, and the January 6, 2021 insurrection case. New York DA Alvin Bragg's case about paying Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal to stay quiet during the 2016 election apparently will go forward later this month. On Capitol Hill, for the fourth time since last September, House Republicans passed a stopgap bill that avoids a partial government shutdown, which could have happened tomorrow. The Senate followed suit late last night. A shutdown may still happen next week or by the end of the month. Bills to provide aid for Ukraine and Israel have not moved forward. Today on the News Wrap, we'll take a look at what the Maryland General Assembly has been up to as we approach the halfway mark in the 2024 session. Pamela Wood covers the State House for our news partner, the Baltimore Banner, and she joins us on our digital line. Pam, how you doing? Uh, good afternoon. I'm, I'm doing better than yesterday. Yeah, and we'll talk about that in just a second. And Matt Bush is WYPR's news director. He's hanging with me here in Studio A. Good to see you, Matt. Good to see you, Tom. And listeners, if you'd like to weigh in on what's going on in Annapolis at the General Assembly, 410-662-8780, our email midday at org. So, Pamela Wood, you were in the State House last night when a lockdown was ordered for a couple of hours. Um, tell us... What happened and where you were, and uh, my gosh, that must have been scary. Uh, it was scary for several minutes there. Uh, I was, along with several other reporters uh, from the Banner and other outlets, on the ground floor of the State House. There's a series of offices down there for the press, and uh, the Chief of Staff to the House Speaker, Jeremy Baker, just suddenly around 5 o'clock came down the hallway and urgently told us to close and lock the doors. And we didn't know what was uh, going on, so we, we locked up, we turned off the lights, we kind of hid and crouched in there, all of us, um, unsure really what was happening uh, at all. And we were there for about half an hour before we were escorted out. Uh, and later we learned there was a threat phoned into the Annapolis Police Department, someone claiming that they had a gun and they were headed to the State House. Uh, and the the whole thing, actually, the buildings were locked down for about two hours last night uh, in, in total. And for about 30 minutes, a lot of us uh, had to shelter in place uh, before police escorted us to another area. And uh, how did how did that happen? How did the, the police uh, contact you or, or come to you and, uh, and, and assure you that they were, in fact, the police and uh, it was safe to to answer the knock on the door? 
Yeah, absolutely. We could actually see through a little. There's one of the doors we have has a little mail slot in it, and we could see through there that there were police, you know, with big guns uh, in the hallway. And, you know, they came down room by room down our hallway and banged on the doors, said they were police, asked who was in there. And they hustled us right out of there. Um, the, the hallway of the state house lined with police officers uh, with long guns, and they urgently told us to move, move, move and, and get out of there and got us out of the building and then ultimately took us uh, down the street and held us uh, in another building for a while. In another building, uh -huh, because I, I know uh, the state circle, the road that surrounds the state house, the, the state house was uh, closed. I mean, but they, they wanted you inside another building. They didn't want you hanging around outside. That's right. They had us outside on, on Lawyers Mall. Uh, that's the plaza next to the state house for a little bit. And then they decided it was safer to move us down to the House of Delegates office building. And, you know, meanwhile, the House of Delegates office building, the Senate office building were full of people. There were committee hearings, voting sessions happening, people giving testimony. And some of that business continued, but they also were kept, everybody was kept inside those buildings. They didn't want us, you know, out on the streets. And uh, until about seven o'clock, we got the all clear. Mm -hmm. And, and this it all started at about five. Yeah. Wow. So that's, you know, a couple hours to be sure. So Matt Bush, you got down there around 730 or so and talked to uh, Carter Elliott, uh, who is a press spokesperson for Governor Wes Moore. Uh, what did what did they have to say? And all the reporters there, Pam was there as well. And, and Carter just was just saying what they were up on the second floor uh, where the governor's office is and that the governor was in there. The lieutenant governor was in the building. The Senate president was in the building. Um, just how they sort of passed the time waiting for it to happen. The governor had a reception that was previously scheduled uh, across the street at the governor's mansion with the with mayors from around the state. Uh, he was delayed in getting to that. He eventually did get to it for a little bit, but that's pretty much what it was, and it just it sounded like an exceptionally harrowing incident for everybody who was there. Yeah, sure, and of course, uh, many of those mayors uh, did get inside the governor's mansion, and as I understand it from some reporting from WBAL's Dave Collins, uh, other mayors who arrived a little later uh, weren't even led into the governor's mansion. They were uh, they were told to go someplace else and clear the area. Well, uh, Pamela Wood, we're very glad that uh, you're okay and uh, that all of your colleagues are too. But of course, in this day and age, uh, where mass shootings are uh, more than more than uh, frequent, uh, it's uh, you know a very scary thing to think that somebody could uh, you know make a threat like that. And of course, it had to be taken very seriously. Let's talk about some of the bills that are going uh, through the legislative process. Uh, in the General Assembly, um, the Juvenile Justice Bill, Pam, uh, th this has uh, gained a lot of steam over the last couple of weeks. Uh, as I understand it, they're talking about it as we speak. Um, what's your, your take on the status of that? First of all, what, what do these bills uh, uh, aspire to do? The, this is in some way a reaction to bills that the legislature passed uh, last year or the year before. Yeah, uh, that's right. I actually just left the House of Delegates chamber where it is on the agenda for a final uh, vote today, a third reader vote, it's called. Um, legislation is moving forward both in the House and the Senate. It makes some tweaks to juvenile justice law. Um, one example is extending the amount of time that a kid can be on probation. The idea is keep them on probation longer. It gives them more time to get sort of the oversight and the services that come with that, um, rather than sort of, uh, you know, quickly in six months sending them out. That's, you know, controversial. Um, there is addressing the issue.
Oh, and we've uh, lost a connection with Pam Wood. Uh, Matt Bush is here with me in Studio A, and our connection's still okay as yes. far as I know. So <laughs> I can see we it. are uh, working on getting uh, Pamela Wood back with us. But um, this is a reaction to yeah. uh, a bill that, you know, a couple of bills, a package of reform bills right. that were passed uh, recently. Yeah, and I think it's also a reaction to a lot of the coverage that has come out, particularly in Baltimore, of crime. Uh, you know, always worth noting as we discuss this that crime is falling statewide and the juvenile crime rate is falling too, but there's some specific instances they want to address. And uh, Pam was getting into that, uh, saying the one with lengthening probation, but also allowing the Department of Juvenile Services to basically take in 10 to 12 year olds who are now uh, would now who would be charged with certain crimes, certain violent crimes. This includes carjacking and assault. Uh, instead of just getting services, they now go into the Department of Juvenile Services, which is kind of the beginning of the criminal justice system uh, at that area or at that age. Instead of just allowing them to be, you know, to, to get services for these crimes. So I think that's one of the bigger, you know, changes that really comes out of this, and it's the one that's gotten the most criticism from a lot of, you know, Democratic-leaning groups. Uh, this is going to pass, but that's where a lot of the criticism has really come from is over that saying it's going to put a lot more kids into the criminal justice system and in particular black and brown kids by having kids of that age uh, be now subject to, to DJS intervention. Yeah and so uh, Pamela Wood it's an interesting coalition of people who are uh, behind these uh, reform packages so-called uh, juvenile justice reform packages um, because it's uh, a lot of law enforcement people including uh, some uh, Democrats like uh, Ivan Bates, the state's attorney here in Baltimore, um, and uh, proponents uh, of the bill. Uh, I guess it's Will Smith, who's a, a senator, uh, and Luke Klippinger in the in the House, uh, are hearing from people both on the left and the right. It's an interesting political uh, place that they're in uh, with this particular package of legislation, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, there is uh, honestly frustration with this bill from all sides, from the left, from the right. There have been amendments proposed and rejected by Repu from Republicans and from uh, you know liberal Democrats as well. And Delegate Sandy Bartlett, um, one of the folks who's worked on this, said, you know, I don't think anybody's, everybody's certainly not happy here. Uh, definitely a recognition of how challenging this is. Yeah, I think uh, Senator Smith was quoted in Maryland Matters today saying, uh, everybody's mad about it. That must mean we're doing something right, <laughs> you know, is the way the political process uh, works. But, uh, Matt Bush, it does look like this will pass the House and uh, mm -hmm. pass the Senate. So uh, you think that these reforms will, in fact... Uh, be implemented. Right, and, and, and some of the reporting from the banner has said the reason this is going through a little earlier than it maybe would l large headlining legislation is once it goes through the House and they're debating it right now, the final vote, and then the Senate, it's on second readers, so they have to vote on it one more time. They'll do that early next week. Um, that gives then the sides more time to, to work on this particular bill. They've heard from their colleagues now the things they like and mostly dislike about it. Um, so going forward, we'll see what um, they come up with. What's interesting, I found in some of the, um, of, of the, certainly going in with the coverage or what the questions were about this bill going into the year when it was introduced was would it um, take away something that was passed two years ago, one thing in particular, the Child Interrogation Act, which basically allows, you know, or, or ensures that juveniles have access to an attorney uh, before they are questioned by police. And a lot of prosecutors, Democrats and Republicans have criticized the saying as has hampered 
uh, police investigations. That is not they're not making any changes to that. That was one of the amendments that Pamela was referring to that was brought up this week was putting, you know, basically negating that bill in some way. And that amendment was defeated. So that's still part. That is the law that won't be uh, changed, at least by what's going through right now. But we still have another month or so to go. Matt Bush is WIPR's news director. Pamela Wood covers the state house and politics and government for the Baltimore Banner, our news partner. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. It's the Midday News Wrap. You can join our conversation, 410-662-8780, our email, midday at wipr.org. And Pam Wood, uh, Senator Carter, uh, whom uh, Matt just referred to, was a big proponent of the Child Interrogation uh, Protection Act, and uh, she uh, was able to uh, see that no changes were made to that particular law. I had her on midday here uh, a couple months ago talking about that. Um, she was also behind a bill called the Nicola Strauder bill. Uh, that was against, I guess, part of the juvenile justice reform package, and then it became separated from it. What can you tell us about that bill that uh, Senator Carter has sponsored? Yeah, sorry, I lost you for a moment there. We're talking about the Nicola Strauder Act? Yes, yes. Is that right? Yes. So that bill was named for a Baltimore uh, girl who was shot and killed, unfortunately, by another child. And her family has been on a mission. What they want to see is that when when kids take an action that, that takes a life, that they automatically get put into some services, some counseling, some supports for them and their family. It got rolled into the larger bill. And Michaela's family doesn't like all the aspects of the larger bill. So uh, they raise that concern. It's since being separated out and it is moving forward. And, you know, their goal is really to help kids who are in trouble. So this would dictate that uh, if uh, because, you know, uh, this is two kids playing with a gun or a, a young child playing with a gun who ended up, uh, you know, discharging the weapon and uh, Nikayla Strauder very tragically was killed. But th- this would, uh, would right. ma- mandate that uh, juvenile uh, uh, supervision, juvenile services would uh, would immediately become involved. Is that right? Is that what you just yeah, that's, that explaining? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, and not to criminally charge a child. The child in this case was too young to be charged, um, you know, not to lock them up and send them away, but to get them help because something's, you know, very much going wrong when that happens, when, you know, children, you know, have guns, when they hurt other people, they need help. And that was the goal of that legislation to require that they, you know, get put into the system to get help, um, but not for incarceration. Pamela Wood covers state government and politics for the Baltimore Banner. Matt Bush is the news director here at WIPR. We'll have more of the midday news wrap on the other side of a quick break. We'll talk about the budget. We'll talk about some education bills. We're talking about some other things that are happening in the General Assembly in Annapolis. They're about halfway done with the 2024 session. We are not by any means done. Give us a call, 410-662-8780, our email midday at WIPR.org. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR. And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up Monday, it's the Midday Health Watch with Dr. Lena Wynn, a former 
Baltimore City Health Commissioner and columnist for The Washington Post. The CDC has a new COVID vaccine recommendation for older adults. We'll talk about that. There's measles in Maryland. We'll talk about that and the best ways to protect ourselves from America's number one killer. That's heart disease. Dr. Wen explains the latest data and answers your questions on Midday Monday. And if you've just joined us today, it's the Midday News Wrap. My guests are two experienced Annapolis watchers who are helping us keep up with the latest from the General Assembly. Pamela Wood is the politics and government reporter for our news partner, the Baltimore Banner. She's in Annapolis joining us on our digital line. Matt Bush is the news director here at WIPR. He's with me here in Studio A. You are welcome to join us as well if you have a question or comment for our two experienced Annapolis hands. 410-662-8780. Our email midday at WIPR. Org. So, Pamela Wood, uh, there was a bill um, that has been proposed in the legislature uh, more than once. Uh, it's referred to as medical aid in dying. Uh, and Senate President Bill Ferguson uh, had an announcement about that this morning at his press conference. Here's what he had to say. Uh, another important bill that I do want to address is the medical aid in dying or compassionate choices. Um, we are not going to be taking a vote on the bill this year. It uh, does not appear that we have uh, the votes uh, to pass it in the Senate, and so we will not be moving forward on that issue, which I know will be disappointing for a number of folks. Um, but uh, if the votes aren't there, the votes aren't there. And so we will uh, continue in the education process um, and take it up at a different time when, the vote, when we think that there's a better chance of its passage. So, uh, Pam, what do you think? Uh, wh- what was the... Uh, uh uh, dare I say it, death knell for uh, this this bill, uh, you know, concerning a very sensitive issue uh, for patients, you know, requesting uh, aid in uh, at the last stage of their life. Yeah, and, and what this bill would do is allow terminally ill patients to get a prescription for medication that they would have to take themselves to, uh, you know, initiate their death. And, and honestly, just the votes weren't there. Not enough people are comfortable with it. Uh, at the beginning of session, President Ferguson told me there was interest in bringing it up for a vote this year. That was the plan. But as it got closer and became more real, uh, not enough senators were, were ready to go forward with it. So it's not going to get a vote this year. And Matt Bush, I guess the uh, people had concerns about uh, what this would mean for insurance policies. All and sorts all of things with this, yeah. This is, stuff, yeah. I mean, this is going back a decade, I think, that this has been brought up in Maryland. Uh, and our reporter, Scott Massiena, our health reporter, was doing some digging on this and was preparing a report on it. And it was interesting, coming into the session was felt if Maryland approved it, it would kind of be, it might be the tipping point state, because only a handful of states allow this right now. But if Maryland had approved it, there may have been a lot of other states that then followed suit. So the fact that this is done for the, this year and isn't going to be passed is very interesting in a national scope as well as how many more people are going to push this through. But there, yeah, there's lots of questions with it. Insurance uh, probably being the biggest one um, that people just don't know what, you know, and I think as you were pointing out too, the people have to take the, the per- prescriptions themselves. Terminally ill patients may not have the physical ability to do that. So there's a lot of questions that were coming with this that apparently just have not been answered enough at this point. Yeah, but it looks like Senate President uh, is uh, optimistic he can, you know, keep it uh, keep in, uh, mm-hmm. in the fore of people's yeah. consciousness uh, in, in future sessions. Um, speaking of health care, uh, Pam Wood, uh, the Access to Care Act would uh, allow undocumented immigrants to uh, go to the health exchange 
to buy insurance. Uh, I guess the the bill has passed in the House. Uh, where does that stand? Yeah, actually, uh, last night I was watching online the Senate Finance Committee voting session on this bill when the threat came through. So mm-hmm. uh, it is moving forward in the Senate as well. It's important to note this bill does not offer any financial assistance or subsidies. This These folks who could use the exchange to pay their own way to buy their own health insurance. And, you know, right now, undocumented immigrants aren't allowed to use the state health exchange. This would open it up. It would take a couple of years uh, for this to be implemented, uh, should it go all the way through the General Assembly, which is looking likely. Uh, And Matt Bush, I remember uh, many years ago during the O'Malley administration, there was a big conversation about whether or not undocumented immigrants should get the the in-state rate at uh, colleges and universities, the DREAM Act uh, here in Maryland. You've been covering some of the education, the other education Mm -hmm. stories. Uh, One of them uh, has to do with legacy preference in admissions. This was the subject of a Supreme Court case uh, last term. Right. Uh, so yeah, so interesting to always see how Maryland reacts. You know, the Maryland lawmakers, which are primarily Democratic, uh, react to these rulings from the conservative U.S. Supreme Court. So this did pass with very, you know, almost unanimously, 133 to 4. It bans legacy preference to be used in admissions. Now, from what the re- research on this does, a lot of the by any school should preface that. It's any school that takes state money in any form. So it isn't just state schools. There's a lot of private schools that take state funding in some form. Uh, so it would ban them from legacy preference, uh, using legacy preference in determining admissions. It passed 133 to 4 in the House. Uh, so it's going now to the Senate uh, to go through that. Most of the public schools do not do this in Maryland, uh, according to the research. St. Mary's is the only one that does. And it, apparently it's not a very heavily used um, you know, criteria in there. Um, admissions process. What was interesting, there was a separate bill about this, and there was a really volatile hearing about it um, that had something to do with, 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 with this. It was a separate bill that isn't looks like it's not going anywhere, but another bill that got passed this year is requiring all the state schools to do targeted outreach and recruitment efforts. And there seemed to be a lot of the anger that's really being directed right now, the University of Maryland College Park, from a lot of lawmakers that aren't from Montgomery County or Prince George's County, that the University of Maryland College Park is not accepting enough students from other parts of the state. Uh, Something interesting to look forward to going forward, because there was a lot of discussion of it that got kind of heated for a, you know, Senate committee hearing about this. And that has to do whether it's legacy missions, whether they believe that people are prepared to go to that school. There's there's some displeasure in other parts of the state about whether enough kids from Maryland can get into the, you know, the the state school, the, the largest one in the state. Yeah, interesting. Of course, the Supreme Court has ruled that uh, race can no longer be used as a criteria. And that's for where the legacy sort of comes in that it benefits primarily white students. Uh, and again, there wasn't, at least according to the research, wasn't many schools in Maryland that receive state funds that are used to us. There's four, four private universities uh, that apparently also that are taking state money that use legacy preference. But I mean, going through at 133 to four, that's not a lot of, uh, you know, not a lot of controversy to, to ban this. We'll see if it gets through the Senate. But some of the other things that were very interesting about this particular issue don't seem to be going forward. Um, Pam Wood, let's talk about the budget. Uh, I get the same uh, press releases from the Republican caucus that you do. You and Matt both get, uh, and uh, we get one once a week or so that uh, highlights uh, what they call the Democrat tax hikes of the week proposals. Um, So taxes are kind of at least in the periphery of people's 
people's conversations in Annapolis this 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 session. But um, where does where do things stand with the budget? We heard from the governor months before the session started uh, that the, uh, the 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 structural deficits of the state are going to be pretty substantial. Where do things stand at this point in the session? That's right. Uh, the budget we expect to be uh, moving forward uh, next week. We're going to get some new estimates of how much money is coming in, and we're going to see how lawmakers are changing the governor's pr- budget proposal, which, to be clear, does not have any across-the-board tax increases for anybody. The governor has said his bar is really high, maybe a discussion for the future, but not this year. What Republicans have been talking about in the last couple of weeks is a variety of relatively minor fee increases uh, that they're calling taxes. There are some fee increases for hunters who come in from out of state. There is a new program for paint recycling that would charge a small fee per can of paint to set up. Uh, Relatively small dollar items, but they're certainly making a big deal out of it. I guess there is uh, some proposal uh, having to do with fees or taxes uh, on the purchase of guns and ammunition. What can you tell us about that That's proposal? Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if, if you're buying a gun or bullets, you're paying the regular 6% sales tax already. There is a proposal to add an 11% tax, and, and that would be on the dealer. But let's be real, the dealers are going to pass that on to consumers. That 11% tax would help fund the trauma system. So shock trauma in Baltimore, the other trauma centers and transportation around the state. The trauma system uh, has been in need of money and has been given extra money from the state. The idea here is to help make it more sustainable and frankly, guns through you know, intentional acts, you know, uh, accidents send a lot of people to trauma centers for expensive care. Yeah, it's uh, you know a, a, a thing that people are wrestling with around the country. You know, uh, and Matt Bush, the uh, active shooter drills uh, mm-hmm. are even a, a subject of uh, concern for legislators uh, here in Annapolis. And here's last night. You know, th- that could have very easily been an active shooter situation. It turns out, thank God, it wasn't. Uh, but uh, the lawmakers are thinking about uh, legislating how these drills are conducted. Yeah, the House passed a bill that would essentially uh, stop any active shooter drills or trainings in schools that would um, include specified activities that may be considered traumatic for students or personnel. Now, that would mean banning anything that included loud noises that imitate gunfire or explosions and would stop anyone from role-playing as the victim or the shooter in these drills um, that have become commonplace in schools and this is one thing they're looking at. I've read stories about how what some of these do, and they do sound – they can sound traumatic. Um, but this is what's passed. It's passed the House. We'll see if it goes any further. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, 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 uh, how, how do you have an active mm-hmm. shooter drill uh, when you're preparing people for just a horrible situation that doesn't include some, you know, difficult uh, traumatic – Elements. I mean, it's a really difficult thing. That's that's one of those issues where um, it's difficult to legislate that sort of thing. I think so. We'll see. But you know, as you mentioned, uh, the House is uh, for it. Um, Pamela Wood, uh, let's move to Governor Moore's uh, proposal. Uh, he's very much uh, behind something called the Enough Act. What does the Enough Act refer to? Yeah, that's right. Governor Moore was making his pitch again this morning uh, before Senate committee. Uh, Earlier, he was before the House of Delegates. 
the Enough Act uh, would send $15 million a year in grants to targeted communities throughout the state. These are neighborhoods that have high levels of children who are in poverty, and the grants are meant for community supports, you know, job training, tutoring, um, you know, improving uh, safety and opportunities uh, in these neighborhoods. This is part of the governor's, uh, as he says, an audacious goal to end child poverty in the state. Um, but with the tight budget situation, um, he got a warning uh, earlier from the House that do we have the money to sustain this long-term $15 million a year before? And you know, he's also getting questions that is $15 million enough to move the needle and really make a difference? You know, once you take $15 million, you spread it around uh, you know, 10 or 20 different neighborhoods across the straight state, is that enough to make a difference? So the, he's getting a lot of support for it, but some questions in the details. Yeah, he calls it the first in the nation's state level effort to end concentrated poverty. It is, in fact, a, an audacious goal. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, Matt, enough is not an acronym. Yeah, it's just a, it's what they've named this mm -hmm. bill because he says, uh, this is quoting uh, the governor, we've had enough with poverty, enough with crime, and a system where generational challenges go addressed. So it's kind of, you know, we're fed up, we're not, you know, we're, we're mad and we ain't going to take it anymore. Absolutely. You get good branding on a bill when you come up with something like that. And you get a, branding's part of it sometimes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and Pam Wood, uh, the governor also is uh, proposing some housing legislation uh, that's part of his package right. of, of bills this year. What can you tell us about those? Yeah, he has a package of bills. And again, he was also testifying in the Senate this morning on them. Uh, one that's most interesting and is running into some concerns would incentivize uh, more units of development in certain areas. These are uh, developments near transit stations, developments on former state properties, developments that are uh, mostly affordable housing. Um, but this runs into local control. Local governments, it's very important for them to control where development happens and specifically to make sure that schools aren't overcrowded, that development doesn't you know, uh, make the roadways uh, worse, that it doesn't overburden the sewer system. Um, it's called Adequate Public Facilities Ordinances, or APFO is what we're hearing a lot in Annapolis. Mm -hmm. um, but everybody recognizes there is a shortage of housing at all price points, and there's specifically a shortage of housing in our state at, you know, affordable working class, middle class price points. So there is a broad desire to get the housing supply up but at the same time keep enough controls so that it works in harmony with existing neighborhoods. So there's going to be a lot of conversations uh, about that. I wouldn't be surprised if the governor's bill gets some adjustments from lawmakers moving forward. Yeah, it's a state issue. Of course, it's uh, very much a local issue, affordable housing, uh, very much on the minds of uh, Mayor Brandon Scott and Baltimoreans United in Leadership Development. They've got a very expensive proposal uh, out there. Johnny Olszewski, Jr., uh, the uh, county executive in Baltimore County, who's now running for Congress, uh, was uh, sort of swatted back uh, when he tried to introduce uh, uh, an ordinance that would have helped him build more affordable housing, which he needs to do because he's under a consent decree uh, mm -hmm. in the county to do that. So it's interesting that, uh, you know, this is happening both at the, the micro local level as well as the, the more macro 
state level. Um, Matt Bush, uh, there's also uh, on the education beat, again, uh, a, a bill having to do with uh, children uh, who are taking uh, classes about what they call family life and human sexuality yeah. uh, in Maryland schools. Where does that stand? So that's through the House, I believe. Actually, I should go click back on that. But yeah, I believe it's through the House. And uh, yes, it's, it's it's past the House. The Senate has its own version of it. But this creates a public health curriculum that students and you know, any grade level, uh, they would have classes that deal with a variety of things. But right now, parents could opt their kids out under this bill only for family life and human sexuality classes. They cannot opt them out for gender identity, sexual orientation or HIV prevention classes under this bill. This is... Without having said that this is in response to Carroll County Public Schools, it's in response to Carroll County Public Schools as they would be the only school system right now that would not um – that, that, that would be violating this particular policy um, as they have done some things with banning LBGTQ plus books and symbols and all that kind of thing. So this is in response to that without saying it's in response to it. So that one's going to be pretty volatile as it goes through. It was going through the House. There was a lot of pushback on this, but it is through the House and now goes to the Senate, their version of this. So as states all across the country are, you know, looking at banning books, don't say gay, those sorts of things. This is what Maryland's response is to it. Matt Bush is the news director here at WIPR. Pamela Wood covers state government and politics for the Baltimore Banner. Uh, We're going to be talking for another few minutes about what's going on in the General Assembly. If you have a question or comment, 410-662-8780, our email midday at WIPR.org. And Pam Wood, um, there was a weird thing. I mean, I'm I'm defining it or describing it as weird because it seemed kind of strange to me that all of a sudden there was a program that... uh, had to do with uh, pre-trial uh, treatment of uh, people who are uh, suspected and, and uh, indicted in crimes, having to do with their uh, ankle monitors. All of a sudden, uh, the uh, State Department said, well, we're out of money. We can't do this anymore. Uh, and uh, the Judiciary uh, Committee in uh, the General Assembly has uh, taken a look at this. What, what's going on with this uh, business to, to refund this program? Oh, we've lost Pamela for a second. We'll try to get her back. Uh, Matt, is this something that you've followed I at all? I follow this one. Okay, no, right. it, 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 it has to do with financial assistance for pretrial ankle monitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they ran out of money, and the legislature, I know Bill Ferguson was uh, very upset that all of a sudden, you know, unbeknownst to anybody, uh, oh, well, we stopped doing that because <laughs> uh, we ran out of money. So there are lawmakers working to fund it. We just have a few minutes left. So, Matt, I want to talk to you about renaming the snakehead fish. We got a question about this yesterday when I talked to uh, the Maryland executive director of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Uh, there's a bill called HB 19, and it regards the snakehead fish. What an what a, uh, an appetizing name for <laughs> so, a main meal. <laughs> we'll put it this way: Would you go to a restaurant and say, "Hey, I would like a snakehead"? No, from a, for a lot of people, it's no. So, uh, would you go to a restaurant instead when you see on the menu, "I'll order a Chesapeake Chana"? Well, they're banking on that more people will uh, find that a more appetizing thing to purchase at a restaurant uh, than a northern snakehead. The snakehead's an invasive fish, arrived in Maryland about 20 years ago or so. It's it's predatory, and it's basically one in the Maryland ecosystem. They can't get rid of it despite the efforts they've done. So now um, they're going to rename it in hopes that more people will eat it uh, when they're out 
wherever, buy it, eat it, whatever, if it's called Chesapeake Jana instead of the Northern Snakehead. Right. That's pretty much where it, that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's an invasive fish. It's not native to this area. Uh, it's native to East Asia, but about 20 years ago, it showed up in a pond in Crofton. Then a couple years later was in the Potomac River. Uh, apparently the waters here uh, are very conducive to its development and it's here to stay. So... And there's way too many of these uh, snakehead yeah. fish, Pam. So uh, they are try- they're pushing it because I'm told by uh, various legislators at various levels of government that the snakehead fish is actually really delicious. They say we should be ordering them up as frequently as possible. Have you ever had one, Pam? A Chesapeake chana, perhaps I should say, rather than a snakehead fish? I have actually. You know, before I was a politics reporter, I was an environment and Chesapeake Bay reporter. So I did have the opportunity to have snakehead fish, but gosh, that was 10 years ago. I don't really remember (laughs) (laughs) what it tasted like. I'm not a big fish eater, but yeah, they're hoping it's going to be more marketable with this new name. Uh, I'm not sure. I would order snakehead if I saw it on the menu. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, branding is everything, right? Branding is everything, yeah. (laughs) Um, And so, Pam, I want to talk about Speaker Jones. Uh, She has what she's referring to as her decency agenda. Uh, what's involved in that uh, agenda? Yeah, that's a series of bills, some uh, sponsored by the speaker herself, some by other delegates that she is giving her blessing to. One of the main ones is the Freedom to Read Act, which attacks uh, the issue of book banning that's been going on. We've seen it in Carroll County, now Howard County, parents trying to take uh, books out of uh, school libraries in particular, often with LGBTQ plus content. Uh, and this bill would set standards for all public libraries and school libraries about the goal of keeping a, you know, a variety of books available for people and setting some standards and protecting librarians who follow those rules. So that has been heard in both chambers, and it is expected to go forward. Uh, there's also a bill clarifying an anti-discrimination law in unemployment, uh, some bills uh, aimed at combating misinformation and disinformation about the voting process. And she's, she's put these all together uh, under the umbrella of decency and trying to promote you know, dialogue and conversation in a respectful way. And our society, which is, gosh, a really big problem, <laughs> that she's you know, doing what she can to try and address it. Well, Pamela Wood, we appreciate your uh, explaining what's happening down there uh, on your beat in a very civil and respectful way and a very informative uh-huh. way. So I'm really grateful to you. Thank you so much, and uh, stay safe down there. Thank you. Appreciate it. Pamela Wood covers politics and government for our news partner, The Baltimore Banner, and Matt Bush is the news director here at WIPR. Thank you, sir, for your fine reporting from the State House. And thank you. We'll tell you the juvenile justice bill did pass the House a few minutes ago, 126 to 6. All right, so that's a pretty overwhelming margin for the juvenile justice bill. Up next, our weekly theater review with Jay Wynn Russick. We'll talk about the Oristaya at the Chesapeake Shakespeare Company. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR.